From the campus of Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, this is Sessions from Studio A. I'm Spencer Tritt. Thanks for joining us this week. It's an hour of jazz with acclaimed pianist Reggie Thomas. He's joined by Bobby Broom on guitar, George Flutus on drums, and Dennis Carroll on bass, rounding out the rhythm section. We'll hear a performance from the quartet recorded live here in Studio A and also an interview with the band. Members will talk about what drew them to jazz initially, and they'll get candid about the pandemic and social justice protests of the past year. Stay tuned. It's the Reggie Thomas Quartet, coming up right after the news on Sessions from Studio A. Welcome to Sessions from Studio A, and thanks for joining us for our hour with the Reggie Thomas Quartet. Reggie Thomas is currently the head of jazz studies here at Northern Illinois University. His music has taken him all around the world, and he even spent three years playing with the legendary Count Basie Orchestra. We're excited to have him on the show this hour, and we have plenty of great music and conversation to fit in. So let's get right into things. This is the Reggie Thomas Quartet on Sessions from Studio A. Thank you. 
I'm Reggie Thomas. I'm the Director of Jazz Studies here at NIU, and uh, my pleasure to, to get to play piano with these gentlemen. I, I just appreciate the fact that you all even let me play with you. Thank oh, you. <laughs> Thank you. This is such well, a great... Well, that feeling's mutual. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a great cast of folks here. Uh, to my right, we have Mr. Dennis Carroll. Dennis, you want to tell us about yourself? I agree with Reggie, just to... First of all, not playing any music hardly, and then to be able to do this, you're, I'm reminded how much I have to. Sorry to sound maybe a little, I don't know, corny, but I, it makes me really love music. So, kind of not playing as much, slowing down and reflecting on it has made me reflect too that uh, what we get to do is so special. And gosh, I you know I miss it dearly. And I also have to want to say this maybe doesn't get said enough that each one of these uh, these human beings are really beautiful human beings and uh, really great to be around. So it's a total privilege. I'm George Flutus. I just play the drums. But, um, yeah, I am truly... I, I, after not really playing much these past several months, to get this opportunity to play with the A-team, the you know, absolute best of the best, is really a thrill. You know, I, I I also realize how much I I really miss doing this on a regular basis. So this is great. Thanks a lot for putting this together. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for it's just an honor to be among your company. It's my Cats. pleasure. And I am Bobby Broom. I play the guitar, and I'm a relatively newly appointed uh, assistant professor here at NIU. Uh, happy to be here playing and. Um, I got to take some spoiled milk out of my uh, office, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's something we haven't been in our offices. I know, I was like, Very I good. know something's growing in there. <laughs> yeah, you guys already kind of touched on it a little bit, but I wanted to ask, you know, what's the experience been like this past year as musicians during this pandemic? Oh, gosh. Well, for me, it's been kind of a mixed bag really with the beginning of the pandemic and then well just the beginning of the pandemic was kind of like a I found a, a, a tried to find some benefit in being sequestered you know and um, so I started out with a real creative surge and was working on music at home and doing recording remotely with people and that kind of thing. But then as the social unrest began, that kind of changed um, something in the air, um, obviously, but for me personally. and. It really zapped my creative spirit and energy, and it like dwindled to basically nothing, and um, lasted for quite a while. I mean, it was a month that I did not touch my instrument, mm. and um, it was kind of scary. But I've been through periods like that before, not quite that long, but you know, I I, I realized that they end and you go on after having played so many years. But right. this was extraordinary. Um, so it's waxed and waned in that way. Um, I've had opportunities to, you know, play that required me to play. Mm -hmm. So that helped to draw me out. And then now I feel like I'm on an upsurge of creative spirit. I'm working on yeah. things again. That's good. What do you think it was about the unrest that kind of that sort of sucked your creativity out? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm a black American male and, right. um, you know, the issues are hit close to home, whether I've really ever been affected by them actually uh, in life, in, in my, you know, like directly, um, which I can't say I have, but indirectly I sure do feel like a, the empathy is like, it's palpable, it's, it's, it's more than, is there a word that's more intense than palpable? It's indescribable, and it was just something that just took everything out. Yeah. But yeah. Bobby, if I could jump in there, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but one of the things that, that I wrote about uh, this past summer and what you're really alluding to, because you're saying it doesn't affect you directly, but it actually does, mm -hmm. that, that we don't really have a choice mm -hmm. 
as to whether or not we're going to be affected by the social unrest because it is it takes direct aim at who we are period mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so we never have a choice of I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to pay any attention to mm -hmm. that or that doesn't affect me because it, it really mm -hmm. does. It, it, it affects us deeply. And uh, it, it affects, I think it, it really does affect all people, especially all good and caring and loving people. It affects everyone. But I remember one day in dealing with this, uh, and it was when there was a, a protest march that was going to happen here in DeKalb. And uh, as I was getting ready for that March, um, I was sitting out on my deck, and I live where there's a golf course right behind me, and I noticed people just going on with their lives, you know, there were people they were riding along on the golf cart, they're smiling and laughing and wave at me and say good morning, and you know, people playing music, and neighbor walked up, you know, with a bottle of wine and some flowers for somebody next door. And I realized that there were people who, this is not to say that they're uncaring or unfeeling people at all, but who had the ability to go ahead with their lives while I was feeling stuck right there having to be affected by everything that was going on. There wasn't a choice for me as to whether or not I could, could feel or unfeel everything that was happening in the air. That was Reggie Thomas and Bobby Broom on the social unrest of the past year. You're listening to Sessions from Studio A. It's time for a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of the live performance from the Reggie Thomas Quartet here on Sessions from Studio A. Welcome back to Sessions from Studio A and our hour with the Reggie Thomas Quartet. We'll hear more in a little bit from my talk with the quartet, but first let's get back into the music. Recorded live here in Studio A, this is the Reggie Thomas Quartet. <laughs> Thank you. 
You're listening to Sessions from Studio A and the Reggie Thomas Quartet. It's time for another short break, but when we return, I'll ask the members to tell us a little bit more about what drew them to jazz in the first place. Stay tuned. It's the Reggie Thomas Quartet on Sessions from Studio A. This is Sessions from Studio A, and you're listening to the Reggie Thomas Quartet this hour. I'm Spencer Tritt. Thanks for joining us. You're hearing Reggie Thomas on piano tonight, along with Bobby Broom on guitar, George Flutus on drums, and Dennis Carroll on bass, making up the quartet. Let's hear from my talk with them again. I asked them to tell us more about how they first were drawn to jazz in the first place. Bobby, in the studio, you were telling us a little bit about the story of kind of what first got you into jazz. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, tell us about that. Well, you know, it was unbeknownst to me, really, because I didn't know jazz from a hole in the wall. I just, <laughs> you know, my parents had a, a kind of a diverse stylistically yeah. record collection or whatever, and the radio was always on, and I always had it on. But my dad came home from the barbershop one, uh, one night with a stack of records, you know, that he'd bought from someone there. And uh, I went through them as I usually did when he would bring them home and to see if there was something that, you know, was attractive to me. And I saw this Charles Erland record, who was a, you know, wonderful organist. And, you know, I couldn't tell from the cover. It was just a picture of him. And I looked on the back, and there were a couple of songs that I recognized from the radio, The Age of Aquarius by the Fifth Dimension. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. And, and uh, his hit, Charles made a hit on this tune, um, More Today Than Yesterday by Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, right? Yeah. And I saw these songs, and I said, oh, man, you know, I know these songs, so I took it in my room, and then I don't think my father ever saw that record again. And I played it, literally played it every day, mul- you know, multiple times, sometimes a day. That's it was awesome. just a favorite. I just loved the feeling of the music and the fact that I knew some of the songs and what Charles, how they played, and I didn't know anything about jazz or that it was jazz. Well, fast forward, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 years, because I was 10. So yeah, I guess I was about 26, 7, 8, 27 or 28, and I heard, oh yeah, Charles Erland moved to Chicago, and <laughs> and he's forming a band. And I thought, oh man, this is too cosmic. I, wow. I've got to play with him. This just makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's what wound up happening. We made two records together. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah. I just want to know, did you tell Charles that that way? Hey, uh, this, you know, I just have to play with you. This just makes sense. <laughs> no, no, not at least not initially. I let my music do the talking and uh, he liked it. And then uh, the rest is history. Wow. George, how did you first get into jazz? Well, my, it was due to the influence of my dad. He was a big jazz lover, um, just music lover in general, but particularly jazz. And as a young man, he was interested, he was playing drums, and he started to get into it. You know, this was back in the 50s. And so he heard all the greats at that time, and he had, you know, good ears for music. And so um, I think when I was about, I mean, ever since I was born, you know, I heard good music in the house, but like I was about four or five years old, and he bought a drum set again. He hadn't had one since before I was born. And he just started to show me little basic things from the time I was real small, like how to play the brushes with a Ahmad Jamal record or, you know, listening to Bud Powell. And That's cool. Learn the melodies to songs on the drums and stuff like that. You know, George is, is also very modest. Absolutely. George's pedigree. <laughs> of mm-hmm. all the stuff this cat has done. Yeah. And that's why I say I really do count it as an honor to play with them. When I look at, man, you play a trio with Hank Jones. What are you doing playing with me? <laughs> you know, I well, mean, his pedigree I just is want, pretty. I just, you know, I want a gig. <laughs> but I like how you play. <laughs> Dennis, how did you first get started on, on bass and getting into jazz? Uh, my dad was instrument. He was a band director, and he had all the records, and... For me, like he would play Max Roach and Clip, you know, it'd just be going. And not only would it be going, but you know, he could say he was there. 
at the Sutherland Lounge on the south side. So it started to really uh, tweak my imagination. I wanted to know about what this culture was that was producing uh, music like this. It was, uh, for me, very riveting. So I just can't believe I've been able to keep playing all these years and uh, and I've been able to play with some of uh, great people and, and some heroes. So That's amazing. That's cool that you say it like that, that your, your interest was in the culture that, you know, like where the music came from and that you... You could you recognize that even, you know. I don't know that you know everybody thinks and sees like that. I, I just didn't like living thing. that much in my town after a while. So there was had to be other worlds, and mm-hmm. and these worlds looked exciting and different. And I, you know, it's <laughs> interesting because when I said that to you, then it kind of reminded me of what what besides the music or in addition to the music attracted me to the style of jazz once I realized that I was into it you know that's now we're talking about maybe four or five years later than the Charles Erland record Um, and not only was it the sound of the music and the feeling of the music but it was also the personas of the musicians that I saw on these records and reading the liner notes and the stories and I really identified with something that it made me feel mm-hmm. like it was something I could aspire to it was something that I looked at as estimable even though there were still stories lurking around about you know drug addled people and blah you know that was still part of the the the, the jazz man story but I didn't see that as much as I saw this great art that they created these great characters that they were and how they were always you know they were so uh, 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 regal in how they carried themselves and I saw all of that and related you know I wanted to be one of those guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, right. it's interesting because all of our paths to this are a little bit different you know and I, I love hearing hearing your story and and the avenues that your dad opened up for you mine wasn't like that at all and this Mm -hmm. is no no criticism of my dad or anything but i mean you talk about records being in the house i remember for a long time the newest record we had and this was like deep into the 70s the newest record we had was papa's got a brand new bag you know (laughs) that's that's what was happening around you know but for me my path was that first of all I've known all of my life that I was a musician. Well before I knew anything about playing music or any instrument, I've always known that that's what I was to be. Um, And it didn't matter. People would ask me, what instrument are you going to play? What kind of music? I didn't know and I didn't care. I just knew (laughs) that I was a musician, right? So, I mean, I I won't go into this story, but I ended up a piano player. I was not a pianist originally. And when I was in junior high school, uh, this is going to sound strange to you all out there, but I was jealous of the kids that were in band. (laughs) You usually don't hear people being jealous of the band kids. But I was. I was like, man, that's got to be there in band. And I said to one of my buddies one day, man, I wish I could be in band. And he grabbed me by the arm, drug me down to the band room and said, Mr. Burns, he wants to be in band. Mr. Burns said, okay, what's your name? Uh, okay, Reginald, come here. What do you want to play? Uh, I don't know. And he just started trying me on instruments. But Mr. Burns, he was a he was a jazz pianist. And every day before we would come in to rehearse, he had music playing. And so every day in the band room, I was hearing Miles, Blakey and the Messengers, Sonny Rollins, these were the recordings he yeah. was playing every single day.
the Reggie Thomas Quartet on sessions from Studio A. That's it for this week's show. A huge thanks to Reggie Thomas, Bobby Broom, George Flutus, and Dennis Carroll. We're very lucky to have such talented people right here in our backyard. Sessions from Studio A is produced at WNIJ Studios on the campus of Northern Illinois University by yours truly, along with production assistance from David Talixson and Jared Ortega. If you'd like to be featured on an episode of Sessions from Studio A, just send us a submission at sessions at niu.edu. I'm Spencer Tritt. Thanks for joining me this hour, and I'll see you next time on Sessions from Studio A. Studio A.